0: Will you please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Ecclesiastes 11. You'll need a Bible to follow along in our message. The guys have some. If you need a Bible as they make their way to the back, just get their attention and they'll get one of those Bibles to you. It's marked for you at Ecclesiastes 11. As you're turning there uh, next week. We will, during this hour, the worship hour, devote the entirety of the hour to the observance of the Lord's table. Next Sunday is Ordinance Sunday, where we observe the two ordinances that Christ gave to his church, those of communion and baptism. Communion during the worship hour uh, next week, and then at 5 o'clock uh, tomorrow, or next week in the evening, we will have baptism. We have a couple of our young people who are being baptized And they will appreciate very much your encouragement to be here and celebrate this milestone in their spiritual journey. We also have a dinner after that to celebrate. So it's always a great time for us next week, Ordinance Sunday. And during this hour, we will observe the Lord's table. Today, Ecclesiastes 11. And then after today, only one message left in our look at the book of Ecclesiastes. St. Augustine, Florida lays two claims to fame. It's the oldest city in the United States, dating back to 1513. It's also the location that explorer Ponce de Leon ended his quest for the so-called Fountain of Youth, which was believed to have restorative powers that reversed the aging process. Now, it turns out that Ponce de Leon was not searching for the Fountain of Youth when he came to Florida. In fact, he never once mentions it in the extant letters that we have from him. But many others have, both before and after de Leon. Alexander the Great, for example, was said to have come across a healing river of paradise in the 4th century B.C. And similar legends cropped up in such disparate locations as the Canary Islands, Japan, Polynesia, and England. During the Middle Ages, some Europeans even believed in a mythical king... Whose kingdom allegedly contained a fountain of youth and a river of gold. Now today we have our own versions of the search for the fountain of youth. Found in the eight billion, with a B, eight billion dollar cosmetic surgery industry. Or found in just the guy hawking a miracle aging cream on TV at three in the morning. Not sold in stores. Get it while supplies last. Now, it should not surprise Christian people that worldlings have no idea, have no idea how to live contentedly in each phase of life, even when growing old. There are few things sadder than seeing an older person trying to relive the past and bring back a day that has long gone. But you know, if your best life is indeed now, If you really do only go around once, as they say, if you really need to go for the gusto, then you need to remain young for as long as you can. So in the words of that great theologian, Rod Stewart. In a song about a teenage couple that runs away from home, gets an apartment and has a baby. No mention of marriage at all in this relationship. Young hearts be free tonight. Time is on your side. Don't let them, the them would be adults, especially parents. Don't let them put you down. Don't let them push you around. Don't let them ever change your point of view. Or another great theologian, Billy Joel, who assures us that only the good die young. So, of course, whatever you do, don't be good. If you want an accurate perspective on life, you really cannot get it from the culture, friends. The Bible provides God's perspective on life. And it's a perspective that is realistic and completely accurate. And God tells us in the passage that we're going to see today in Ecclesiastes that there are indeed advantages to youth and there are many disadvantages to growing old. But it also teaches us that we can live life wisely. Because you can live for God at every age. So let's ask God to help us then as we look at his word together. Our Father, we thank you for bringing us together now. For calming our hearts. There was all that we had to do to get here. For those that have children, to get them dressed, to get them breakfast, to get them in the car, to get them here. There are all kinds of obstacles that could have kept us from coming, but you in your providence have an appointment with us in this hour. And so, Lord, we thank you, we credit you, we praise you for allowing us to have this time to look into your word. We ask you as each week to grant us attentive minds and open hearts so that we receive the word that you have for us from Scripture. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we have inserted in your program every week an outline of the message. If you don't have that out as yet, I encourage you to take a look at that so you can follow along. And I say, first of all, we want to see today that the wise rejoice in life. The wise rejoice in life. The Bible teaches that the physical world, including our bodies and everything in the creation, the physical world is fallen and it's decaying. Romans chapter 8 says, creation has been subjected to frustration and is in bondage to decay. Groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And as we've seen in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's shown that life lived under the sun. That's a phrase used over and over again in this book. That is, life lived without reference to God is meaningless. So you might conclude then with all of this meaninglessness mentioned in the book from life under the sun, that there's no pleasure in this life. But even in the midst of all the darkness and decay, verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 11 says this, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. Author Philip Ryken said, Many things in life are sweet, like the taste of golden honey or the soft fold of skin on a baby's neck. Or the sound of the sweet spot on a baseball bat when it connects for a home run. And many things in life are also bright. The first shaft of sunlight over a shimmering sea. A full rainbow after dark clouds. A blazing campfire on a warm summer's night. The twinkling lights of home after you've been on a long journey. How sweet life is and how bright are its many blessings. And so the New Testament tells us in 1 Timothy 6, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So the wise can rejoice. The wise can enjoy life. And I say in the outline that they can do so at every age. The wise can enjoy life, rejoice in life, and do it at every age. Verse 8, however many years anyone may live, Let them enjoy them all. Now it's characteristic of all joyless people that they are both passive and they are victims. Passive and victims. They're passive in that they're waiting for something to make them happy. There's some experience, some circumstance that they don't have now that will be the external stimulus to make them happy. But until that happiness happens in their minds, there's nothing then that I can do about it. And thus there's the victim mentality and the wallowing in their joylessness. It's characteristic of all joyless people that they are both passive and they are victims. But here, let them enjoy in verse 8 is a command. And therefore, it's something for which we're personally responsible to be active in pursuing. The person who's the child of our loving father can rejoice at all times because of what we know. We know he is at work and we know he is working all things for our good. His word tells us. And we know James chapter one that even trials are his gracious tools in our lives. So every day that we awake, we do so with a God centered perspective that says as the psalmist did. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There can be joy at every stage of life. But it requires an active mentality, but also a recognition that there are characteristic sins at every stage of life. If we're going to have this joy at every stage, then we're going to have to actively and intentionally Commit each day to God. Think about the fact that each day is from the hand of God, but also recognize that at each stage of our lives, there are different temptations that would keep us from that joy. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson wrote a book about his father. His father pastored small churches in small towns in Canada his entire life. The book is titled Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. And in it, he talks about having seen his dad's journal and an entry in which Pastor Tom Carson, as he advanced in years, wrote this. Lord, keep me from the sins of old men. Keep me from the sins of old men. There are sins of old men and women, aren't there? Living in the past living in regret, living in anger. So why, that's why we say very often grumpy old people. Characteristic sins as we grow old. Temptations as we grow old. But of course you have the same thing in, in youth. There are characteristic sins while we are young. And that's why the Bible warns. Paul to his protege Timothy flee the evil desires of youth. Sometimes those are irresponsibility or sexual sin or living only in the moment with no thought or care for the future. What both of those have in common, the characteristic sins of the old and the young, is that they fail to acknowledge God. The wise person who does so can have joy in every age. But, notice in your outline, the wise can rejoice in life. They can do so at every age, but they do so especially in their youth. Verse 9 says, you who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. It's been said that youth is wasted on the young. As you get older, you realize how you could have used youth and the vigor and the strength and all that went with it in better ways. And young people who are in it often don't recognize that. But the wise capitalize on the blessings of youth, even while they are young. And those blessings are many. Commentator Leland Reichen said, young people enjoy many blessings in life. They have fewer of the cares that come with having adult responsibilities. Their bodies are strong and getting stronger. Their hearts are full of good cheer and easy laughter. The future is full of possibilities. There's freedom to take risks and time to go in a new direction in life. Young people still dare to dream that they can make a difference in the world. These are all reasons for the young to rejoice. And you, the young, have the freedom to, verse 9 says... Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. (laughs) That sounds dangerous. A young person who does what he or she wants, whatever pops into their imagination. Yikes. But the assumption is that this is a wise young person who, in other famous words from this same Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. and In all of your ways. Acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. In all of your ways, in all of your imaginations, in all of the things that come to your heart, young person, you acknowledge him. Christian young people who are grounded in their Lord can have a God honoring blast in life. A God honoring great time. They avoid the temptations of youth because they're centered on the Lord. That grounding in their God means that they do not wonder whether they are missing out on something good for them. It's one of the great temptations of youth. I'm missing out on something. Particularly for Christian youth, I'm missing out on something. The world has got something that I don't have. Perhaps I need to explore that. But the wise young person is grounded in their God, and they do not therefore wonder whether they're missing out on something good for them because he withholds no good thing from them. They believe what God and godly people have told them. And because they believe that, they ignore the Billy Joels all around them who mock at their religiosity. Who said in that same aforementioned song, They showed you a statue and they told you to pray. They built you a temple and they locked you away. Ah, but they never told you the price that you would pay for the things that you might have done. Only the good die young. Now, putting aside the statue nonsense, (laughs) that's aimed at you, CBC young person. The Billy boys are saying that you're missing out while the rest of us are having a great time, so you better join us now. And that's an echo of the voice of the serpent in the garden. Even when it is set to a cool tune, it's still the echo of the voice in the garden. God is withholding something good from you. Isn't that what the serpent was saying to Eve? God doesn't want you... To be full, God doesn't want you to be happy. The God-focused young person can laugh at and even have sadness for those who are harming their future even now by the things in which they indulge. Sex and marriage won't be the same after you've had many partners before settling down. The live pretty, die young mentality won't magically go away when you're in your 30s and 40s. You are planting the seeds of regret while those of us who follow the Lord are planting seeds of lifelong joy and having a good time along the way. The young person who follows and acknowledges God can have a God-honoring blast in life. The wise rejoice in life, especially in their youth. And also, I say in your outline, They do so with a focus on the future, a focus on the future. Second part of verse eight says, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Let them, the young, remember that there will be these days of darkness. So what tempers the freewheeling heart is that that heart knows the realities of life in a fallen world. That while I'm having a great time, and while this is a gift from God in my youth to have this this time, they still know that life is not all fun and games. In fact, much of it is quite the opposite. So, enjoy what you can while you can, but do not make life about frivolity, about fun. If you see that, then fun can be a means of sustaining you in the inevitable difficulties. That is, while things are good, and while you can have this great time, indeed enjoy it in a God-honoring way. And having done so, when those inevitable trials and difficulties and hardships come, then that will be one of God's means to sustain you in those. So they look to the future. The end of verse 9 says, Know that for all these things... God will bring you into judgment. So with every choice that we're making, while we're young or at other stages of life, at every choice that we're making, as we follow our heart, depending on where that heart is rooted, just understand that at all times God sees. God cares. God watches. God will judge. Romans chapter 2 says God will judge people's secrets through Jesus Christ. Job said, God views the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. Your natural sinful heart's desire is not an unencumbered permit to licentiousness. God sees all and he knows all and he will judge all. Contrary to the voice of Satan found in the world, God is not a killjoy. He, in fact, desires the best for his people. How do I know that God desires the best for his people? Romans 8 tells us that he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God desires the best for his people. You need to look no further than than the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. But God will, because he desires the best, he will discipline to move us back to the straight path. And he will, for each of us, require an account to the master for what we did with the resources that he gave us. Now, you all have heard me say many times, especially when we have the thrill, as we do often, thank God, of our young people of their own volition, saying, I want to join the church. I want to become a member of the church. And as they come up here and they stand before you and I tell you who they are, almost without exception, I say, this is yet another young person that God has brought in their spiritual journey to this point, and they want to serve the Lord in this place. Thank God for our young people. I love our young people at CBC. I'll say something about our old, older folks later, including myself. From what I can tell in observing you, CBC young people, you get this and you're pursuing this. And so I say to you, continue to love each other by enjoying one another, serving with one another. Growing with one another. And yes, challenging one another. God has given you this time, this place, these people. Take advantage of that. Challenge each other. James chapter 5 says this. If one of you should wander from the truth... And someone should bring the person back. Remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The Bible's teaching you enjoy your friends, enjoy this time, and remember friends don't let friends sin. The wise rejoice in life. Second. The wise remove obstacles, remove obstacles. Verse 10. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Now, it's just extolled youth and said, take advantage of youth. And now it says youth and vigor are meaningless. What it's saying when it says meaningless is they won't last forever. They'll disappear. It'll be gone. So while you have the opportunity, cast off then anxieties. Once again, Solomon is honest about the troubles of life, both physical and psychological. He also has some advice for us that we should do what we can to remove discouragement from our souls and to minimize damage to our bodies. It's not a call to deny the very real suffering that everyone experiences, nor is it a call to escape pain by living for pleasure. Instead, it's a call to take care of our mental and physical health. If we're getting discouraged by various anxieties, and if we're tempted, therefore, to become depressed or disillusioned, we should do what the Bible says and remove these troubles from our hearts if we are able. This starts with refusing to feel sorry for ourselves. Rather than dwelling in all the things that are going wrong, we should count our blessings. We should also seek the care of, Or counsel of a Christian friend, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are sympathetic to our situation, but also able to see our situation for what it is and tell us what we need to hear, especially from the Bible. The very best remedy for anxiety is to go to God in prayer, telling him all of our troubles, casting all your care upon him, Peter said, because he cares for you. The great apostle Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, present your request to God. And if our sufferings are physical, it's right and it's good for us to seek a way to ease the pain. When the Bible tells us to put away pain, it's not giving us license to drown our sorrows in alcohol or to use life-destroying drugs. But in fact, physical pain is an evil that we're right to avoid. And when we're able to do that in a God-honoring way... And so this verse, verse 10 of chapter 11, provides part of the biblical rationale for good medical care. One of the reasons why the Bible tells us to remove pain and anxiety is because God knows that we can't stay young forever. Youth and vigor are meaningless. They won't last. So make the most of it while you have it. Enjoy the good times, but don't live in the past. Enjoy it while it lasts and then move on to the next phase. And what is that next phase? We move from youth. And as we move from youth, we are inexorably moving toward the difficulties of getting older. That's why the outline says, The wise rejoice in life, they remove obstacles. Thirdly, the wise remember God. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. So old age is coming. It's coming for everyone. And so while you're young, remember your creator before those days of trouble come. And verses 2 through 8 are going to describe some of the characteristics of that trouble. Now, when it says, remember your creator, it's not cautioning us against forgetfulness. It's not saying to sharpen your memory. It's not saying to put a note on the bathroom mirror that says, think about God today, though that would be a good thing. How's it using remember? Well, in the book of Genesis, as God poured out his judgment on the earth and Noah and his family were in the ark and they floated upon the waters of judgment, the Bible says God remembered Noah. Now, God never forgot Noah, did he? You know, God's never forgotten anything, but it says God remembered Noah in first Samuel. Hannah, who was a woman who was childless, went to the temple to pray that God would give her a child. And it says the Lord remembered Hannah. Now, when the word remembered is used in that sense, it's describing the fact that God focused his activity upon their needs. God acted on their behalf. When it says, remember your creator, he's saying that we have to take seriously what God has said. Focus our attention upon the creator. Shape our lives according to his values. Act decisively on his behalf. This call then to remember is a call away from self-centered living and toward God-centered living. And the time to start that is when you are young. One preacher has helpfully described verses 2 through 7, which say, here are the days that are coming for all of us as we get older. Described it this way. These verses are an extended description of old age as the door to death. In verse 2, we find that old age and death are described as the coming of winter. When are we to remember our creator? Verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark And the clouds return after the rain. When are we to remember our Creator? Before the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. Here's a description of arms and legs that are growing weak. He's saying, like the old gray mare, we ain't what we used to be at that point. When are we to remember our Creator? When the grinders cease because they are few, the grinders cease. Because they are few. You know what that's saying? You don't have many teeth left to grind. That's what it's saying. When do we do this? When those looking through the windows grow dim. When eyesight begins to fade. When the doors to the street are closed. And there's little mobility to get around. When the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds. That is, you want to sleep, but you can't. When all their songs grow faint. He goes on to say, it's a time when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms, almond tree blossoms are silver gray. When the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, it can refer, certainly does refer in part to the fading of sexual desire, but desires of all kinds as age creeps in. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. And Solomon's point is very simple. We're growing old, all of us. So in verse 6 he says, remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. Now the particulars of this metaphor are unimportant. What he's describing is the inevitable end of life. One of David's men described how he felt as he turned 80 years old. In Second Samuel 19, I'm now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of the singers? And then Solomon sets aside all of the metaphors. And in verse 7 says, and then the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. So now I speak to my middle-aged and older friends here. You say to yourself, I squandered my youth. I did not use it as these young people are. I didn't have even the advantages. I didn't have the teaching. I didn't have the people around me. So, so now what? Well, remember, it's how we all finish, not how we start. Many of those who start strong don't finish strong. The important thing is that we finish strong for God. And there is always time, always time to do that. So the psalmist said, since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. That is, God, I'm asking you to be with me even in my old age, as I seek to serve you with all of the difficulties that go with that old age. And that's a prayer, friends, that those who know God through Jesus is always answered. Because the Bible tells us this in the New Testament, you can be content because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So it is never too late to start. It's how you finish, not how you begin. And so here's your take home truth. Joy in life comes to the wise, that is, to those who follow God. Now we're going to pray. In a group this size, we've got all sorts of people. We've got people who are following hard after Christ. People who are pursuing Christ with all the energy that they have. Thanks God for that. But we've got young people, some of you, who are tempted with the wiles of the world. And you're tempted to go astray, perhaps you already are going astray. This is a call for you to come back and acknowledge your creator. For those of us in middle age and in old age, it's a call for us perhaps to begin now serving God with the strength that he provides. He will indeed provide that strength and he will not forsake us. And for every one of us, young, middle-aged or old, the only way any of this can happen is if we have a vital relationship with God through Jesus. So as we pray in just a moment, there'll be different prayers depending on your circumstance, but you pray from your heart to God for what you need from God. Perhaps you need to ask God's forgiveness, confess to Him, do that. He promises to do that if you're His child. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can begin a relationship with Him right now. Realize that you're a sinner. Realize that in your values, your priorities, your allegiances, we are all born into this world going a different way than God's way. Christ died to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin on the cross. Repent. I'm going to go your way, God, not my way. That's what repent means. I'm going to follow you with my life. And receive Jesus Christ into your life. You pray from in your own words. From your heart to God. Acknowledging your sin. Believing that Jesus died for your sin. And asking him to save you. And giving your life to him. And he will indeed rescue you. Let's bow together. Our father we do thank you for meeting with us. For gathering us. For giving us your word. Whose teaching. Is as relevant because it's from you, more relevant, more relevant than anything we read this week. Any teaching we received this week outside of your word, your word is more relevant than anything to us. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us very directly about life. About life in all of its stages. And how we can and must live for you and acknowledge you at every stage. Lord, help me to do that now at this stage in my life. Help me to finish well for you. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are at middle age and older age. That they will make that commitment today as well. I want to finish well for my creator and my savior and my Lord. I thank you for our dear young people. I ask your continued blessing upon them. May they continue to grow in you. May they continue to grow in their their love of you and what you have given them in this life. But, Lord, keep their feet from going astray. For those that may be contemplating straying, for those that are straying, thank you for bringing them here to hear this, to bring them back. It is the love of their God who is calling them back. So I pray that from their hearts right now they're praying to you. And bring those who did not know you when they came into this world to you, as only you can do. We will praise you for all of it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.